If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time and you know the drill. We're trying to make economics that little bit more accessible, that little bit more open and hopefully a little bit more relevant. But first, how are you, Ed? I'm very good. And come here, just before we go any further. Okay. Do you remember yes, we were sure. talking a couple of weeks back with Kev Cunningham about the return or the health of the centre? Of the centre ground in politics, yes. Exactly, yeah. And we were talking about, we are using the case study of Dublin Bay South. Yes. Election, which happened last week. And the winner was? Ivana Bacic. Yes. Who I am, I'm really, really happy for her. I've known her for a long time. Never really matey-matey, but I've known her for a long time. And when I was in college, she was an amazingly courageous campaigner for women's yeah. reproductive rights, for abortion rights, for marriage equality, for a whole slew of liberal issues that have come to pass. Mm. But it was very unprofitable and not particularly popular in the late 80s yeah. to be that campaigner. And I've watched her from afar, you know, as she's progressed in her career. Very, very brilliant academic, a uh, very young professor. Well, she's a professor, is she? Yeah, she's a All professor right. of law. She has the same chair in law that Mary Robinson had and Mary McAleese, ah, two presidents. Okay. okay. And an all-around decent decent person. And I'm delighted she's, I mean, the doll needs people like Ivana Bacic because mm. she's a decent person. She's a clever person. She's a doer. She's a fighter. Yeah. She's a fighter, you know. But tell so us I'm more to, about the, about the, the results then. In well, what's of, interesting about the center. What so, does it tell us? Well, look, the, we were, we were taking the view a couple of weeks ago. It's very, very, again, unpopular. Mm. When everyone says the center cannot hold, quoting Yates and it's going to the extremes. And we were looking at both Germany and France. Yeah even Italy to a degree, even the UK to a degree. And that a huge part of the population is looking at the extremes now and thinking, nah, not for me, you know? Yeah. You know, the world is too fragile for this carry on. Yeah. So the momentum of the extremes, I'm not saying it stopped, but the momentum of the extremes, which this time two years ago with Brexit and Trump and all these racist parties and the people in Hungary and Poland and everything, not to mention Putin and all these guys, there was a sense that the momentum was behind the extremes. Yeah. Now what we're seeing is the electorate is much, much more cautious, 
has got a stake, or has a greater stake, mm. and is actually voting for the old centre. More pragmatic. More pragmatic, saying, look, and I think that maybe Ivana Bacic's victory is part of that story. Is that the only bit of it? Mm. But it's part of that story. Anyway. And the Shinners. Shinners didn't do as well as they thought they were going to do. Yeah. So, I mean, this is part of your, maybe the centre has got a muscularity that we don't know. But it's an interesting story. We will park it there. But we'll watch it over the course of the next yeah. few months, you know. We'll watch it as, uh, you know, we're... As you said, it was a, it's a bellwether for what's to come. We are as devotees of the radical centre, John. Not the <laughs> radical left, not the radical right, the centrist dads. Here we go. <laughs> yep. We're going we're gonna to park this, but we're going to talk this week. Critical question. Is Ireland a tax haven? Huge question. Yes. <laughs> okay, well there you go, John. John solved the uh, problem. I was, I was, I was picking it up. I was being dramatic, theatrical. He said yes. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Huge question this week, John, because Ireland broke ranks. We, For once, we actually stood up for ourselves and said, hold on a second, we are not going to subscribe to a Joe Biden agenda because last time Ireland checked, Joe Biden wasn't elected by us. <laughs> He's not our president. He's not- or was he? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating topic, which is that at the moment, the OECD, OECD, which never created a job in Ireland once or ever, right. never paid any tax in Ireland, never created any capital transfers, just so I say it, it's a think tank. They have come up with this idea backed by Joe Biden, that we should have a 15% global corporation tax. Mm. An aspiration to have it at the moment, right? Nobody knows A level the playing field kind yeah. of vibe. And of course, most people expected Ireland to go along with this. But Ireland said, no, we're not going to go along with this. And I think the position Ireland's saying is, look, this is an aspiration. This is an idea. There's no, nothing tangible. There's no negotiation. There's nothing. Mm. So why would you back something that hasn't actually been concluded? So when you don't actually know what the tax is, what the idea is. So what I'm going to talk to you today about, John, is why Ireland is not a tax haven, right? The tax, it is an entirely legitimate part of a country's sovereign arsenal to use your tax system as part of your economic offering. It's entirely legitimate. Yeah. And to suggest that if you use this and if you stand up for yourself, that you are in some way 
a tax haven mm. is a bizarre thing. I remember years ago, do you remember I wrote this book, The Good Room? I do. Right? And The Good Room was all about when I was a kid, my granny has had a good room. Mm. And we that, all had good rooms, yeah, actually. And yeah. my granny's good room was so good that I wasn't good enough to go into it, right? <laughs> it was kept for people who were gooder than us, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know, Fina Gaylers or <laughs> solicitors or something. And I remember my cousins and I would be sitting there on a Sunday with our big tumblers of my wadi, yeah. right? In Waterford Crystal, freaked out. And then the good people would come in. Right, and we Waterford crystal that we'd never used. We'd never used, and Granny would give us the Waterford crystal, and myself, and it was myself and the three twins, the triplets, right? Yeah. The three twins, and we, 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 as my mother said, were incomprehensible in two languages, right? Because <laughs> they lived down the Gale talked, right? And the good people would come in, and we'd have to be like little soldiers, not yeah. speaking. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the yeah. Granny would take out the Delph from the drawer. And on the delf would be put some sort of cake, right? Yeah. And tea. Nice sponge. Nice sponge. But stuff that we never used during the week. And then when the good people left, the delf was put back into and, the drawer and, and, and was, locked. And that was probably only a Christmas. Yeah, you know? exactly. So the good room was a mental idea that we weren't good enough, that we couldn't accept that we were what we are. And yeah. we tried to pretend that we were posher, right? All Irish families had this stuff. It's deep in our psychology, mm. right? And it's an insecurity that we're not quite good enough. And therefore, we always try to impress the good people. Yeah. Now, I think this is a failure. I think this is a fault in Irish people. I think, I think the problem with Irish people is we prefer to be liked than feared. Yeah. Right? We always want to be liked. I mean, a great crack and decent, right? What I found interesting about the Irish move last week is they said, no, we don't want to be liked. Actually, we're going to be awkward. We're going to be different. We're going to stand up for what we want. But will there be a backlash from that? Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the negotiation because I don't believe Ireland is a tax haven. If you are a tax haven, what actually happens is a company comes in, puts a brass plate on the wall, washes money through the country, in and out, avails of tax, and then disappears with almost no percolating impact down on the rest of the economy. That is not the case for Ireland. In actual fact, we can argue, John, that the single biggest change in Ireland over the last 30 years has been on the economic front, the arrival of the multinationals, and on the social front, the arrival of liberalism. And I believe both of them are linked. And I think this is our story. So, you know, we talked about Ivana Bacic there, right? Mm. I remember her in the late 80s going around in college campaigning. Now, let's go back to the late 80s, right? That was such a big time for me. Yes, go on. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it was 88. Where were you, 88? I was here, but then I was about to leave. Oh, yeah. And you went off to college in Belgium. I just couldn't, couldn't start college, more yeah. college, more. <laughs> but, uh, Terrible 80- for swatting that fella. Terrible man for the sums, <laughs> swatting away. Go 88 on. was such a big year for me because I worked on both the Aslan album, the first Aslan album, and a Cactus World News album. Yes, when everybody was signing Irish bands. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then I went off to London to work in studios over there. In actual fact, one of my first... I remember this. One of Are my, you sure you want to tell the world this? <laughs> I, one of my first recording sessions was with Shaken Stevens. Oh, John. <laughs> and, but, I can and, see you. And, this old house. <laughs> absolutely. He was a lovely fella. And it was him and Muff Winwood, who's Steve Winwood's older brother, both of them played in the Spencer Davis group. But Muff Winwood was the guy who had signed Shaken Stevens. Unfortunate first name. Yeah, Mervyn, I think, was his real name. Okay. But he also signed the likes of Prefab Sprout, 
Psychedelic Furs. So he was a huge geezer in the music industry. he was brilliant. I I didn't quite realise that when I was sitting there, but a huge argument broke out in the studio. Between Shaken? Between Shaken Stevens, Muff Winwood and other record company executives. And I was just sitting back going, wow, I've arrived. This is fantastic. Exactly. (laughs) And the thing is, you would arrive in London, but think of the country that you left. Now, Ireland was extraordinary in the 1980s. There was a boom in West Germany. Mm. There was a boom in Britain. And there was a boom in America. And we missed the whole thing. We were in a permanent recession, right? In 1988, the Economist magazine had a very unflattering article about Ireland, headline article called Ireland, the poorest of the rich, right? Right. It was basically saying this is a country that is imploding, right? We had we devalued the currency, the punt, remember the currency? Mm. Four times in a decade. It was like, oh shit, here we go again, right? We had a fiscal crisis. Talent was leaving the country. Capital was leaving the country. We had a current account deficit. So we couldn't actually pay our way. Interest rates were double digit and our people were just jumping ship, right? Yeah. That was the world in 1988. 30 years later, or 32 or three years later right now, the picture couldn't be different. And 1988 is the beginning of the process whereby multinationals began to come here in big numbers. Let me just ask you that. How did that begin? Like, what was the, was there a certain amount of serendipity there or was it a, was it a vision driven by somebody or other? And if well, so, who was I've, that? I've always believed that the big man in history is not the right thing. I much prefer the little woman in history, right? So there's right. always a, there's always a great thing is when you're, when you're going back historically to say, Oh, it was Sean Lamas or TK mm. Whitaker. No, I don't think that's happened. We got lucky. We got very lucky. Right. We began with using tax policy in Shannon. Shannon was set up as a tax-free zone, duty-free yes, zone. I remember that, yeah. And airline leasing began and airline, all sorts of airline businesses began and they're still here. Like Ireland has got a huge airline leasing yeah, business, right? Absolutely. And it has the biggest airline in Europe, despite having absolutely no aerospace industry. Now, that's an important point to make. Ryanair is by oh, far and that. away. So Ryanair is by far and away the biggest airline in Europe. Yeah. It flies four times more than British Airways. Right, yeah. And yet Ireland has never made a plane, a wing, an engine, nothing. We right. have no aeronautical hinterland. Right, right, yeah. So how did you end up, and we have a country that you could fly over in half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so how does a country with absolutely no right to have an airline business become the home to the biggest airline business in Europe? Yeah, yeah, This yeah. is part of the story. It's an interesting story. It's part of using your head using your noggin, figuring out how the world works. But it's a good example, right? Yeah. So, and again, in the late 80s, Ryanair was only a tiny little thing, right? But I come back to this idea. If you look at the World Development Index, which is a UN development index, Mm. what it shows you is that Ireland went from 1990, when Dave O'Leary sent the Romanian keeper the wrong way. Yeah. Ole, ole, ole. Yeah, yeah. We were the 22nd most developed country in the world, according to the UN. We are now, whether we agree with it or not, the second most developed country, according to the UN. So it takes longevity, it takes health, it takes education, it takes all sorts of other economic variables as well. But it's basically a a holistic view of living in a country. Now, Mm. we can argue this right. Who's number one? Norway. Oh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. And there are some problems with it, you know, 
because they use Irish GDP, which is an over. So we could be fifth or sixth if you if you net out GDP. Right, okay, yeah. But we have propelled ourselves, spot. right? Okay, if you take, for example, Slovenia, which is the Alpine Republic on the north of Yugoslavia, which is much more like Switzerland than it is like Serbia. Mm. They were also, they were 23rd in 1990. They are still 23rd. Oh, right, okay. Yet Slovenia has been probably the most successful post-socialist country in Europe. So it shows you how hard it is to actually propel yourself up that league. Why why didn't they? Because they just stood still, despite doing well, the whole world is, is, it's a competition with the whole world. But so you're saying that one of the key factors is the fact that Slovenia didn't or couldn't invite or attract... Oh, no, they could. They just didn't do it as well as we did. Oh, I see. They just didn't do it as well. But my point is that when you actually, when the economy is propelled in the society Mm. up dramatically in these league tables, something really interesting is going on. Something unique is going on, right? That wasn't going on before. And I think the multinationals are part of that story. They're not the whole story, but they're a really significant part. And if Ireland were a tax haven, right? A tax haven is set up for the benefit of the companies exclusively and a few lawyers and accountants, right? If Ireland was a tax haven, none of the benefits that actually accrued, because the multinationals are real. Like, if you get the dart into Google, right, Mm. before the pandemic, and you see hundreds of people getting off the dart going into the Silicon Valley, they're real jobs. They're real people with real careers. It's not, it's nothing fictitious. It's actually, so our industrial strategy, so what Ireland did is it figured out two things, right? Now, this is the question, did we figure it out or we we just arrived at it? Yeah, I'm curious about that. I think we just, we got lucky. Because after the fall of the Berlin Wall, American corporations, everybody had said that what the countries will do really well after the Berlin Wall will be Hungary, former East Germany, Poland, Czech Republic. That basically companies will set up there to avail of proximity to Germany and Bob's your uncle. What actually happened was American companies realized, aha, globalization will allow us to put our companies anywhere will build these global supply chains. And the American companies, by and large, chose Ireland in a disproportionate way. One of the reasons is because we had this 12.5% tax mm. rate, which was much lower than the rest of the world. Can, I, can I just stop you there and ask you, who who was the first multinational to come in here to, to make that jump? It was I, a brave I think the move first for... big one that we probably know was probably Apple. Apple set up uh, an engineering facility in Cork mm. in the right. mid 80s, because the IDA went out. There was actually a fellow called Michael Killeen, yeah. who was a civil servant, yeah, yeah. went out and said to American corporations, if you come here, you will pay 12.5% tax. We will give you graduates. And remember, Irish wages were much lower than yeah, German yeah. wages at the time, much, much lower. They're now at a, on a par, which is a great sign of success. Because mm. as I've always said, rising wages is what economics is all about. You don't go into economics and say, oh, let's have really low wages, because <laughs> that actually means you're poor. Yeah. So rising wages. So I come back and I say, okay, let's look at what Ireland figured out. Ireland figured out two things. One is that small countries are always terrorized by the tyranny of size. We're too small. Mm. Our local market is too small for us to get rich. We need to trade with the world. Okay. So how do you trade with the world if you've no companies? you've got to attract them in because it's so hard to build companies, right? From scratch. Yeah. But if you can actually attract in companies that are already have networks, then you're beginning the process of making your workforce productive. 
But the question is then, you're too small, so you have to trade. That's the one dilemma. The second thing is, you've no capital. Because yes. people forget yeah, yeah. Ireland was, you know, the reason you're poor is you've no capital, mm. right? So how do you... We didn't have anything to sell. Yeah, exactly. We have what we call a beer and biscuits economy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we did, right? That the only industrial part of the economy was beer, was derivatives yeah. of agriculture. Yeah. Guinnesses and Jacobs. That's all that was going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beer and biscuits, right? I remember sugar beet was a big industry. Sugar here. beet was a big yeah. industry. Yeah, exactly, it was. <laughs> so let's go back. So you think, okay, how do you do it? How do you attract in capital if you don't have it? You make it much cheaper here than it is elsewhere. Mm. How do you make capital cheap? You tax it less. Yeah. yeah so it's yeah. cheaper. Like this is yeah. this is like economics 101. So you bring in the capital, right? All small countries have to do this. Otherwise, the world gets dominated by large countries. Yeah. Which is the tyranny of size. So the bigger the country, the more hard power it has, like empires and all that sort yeah. of thing, the richer it gets. What globalization gave us was this opportunity to say, hold on a second, we can play with the big boys by being part of the global supply chain. So as business becomes more globalized, and this is what the Brexiteers get wrong, yeah. nothing is actually made completely in the UK. They buy in parts from everywhere. Mm. They assembly things. Yeah. So globalization means that supply chains are essential and supply chains need hubs which are little nodes of hyperactivity. And that's what we became. And therefore what happens is more capital comes in, more talent comes in, and it's a virtuous circle. Yeah, yeah. And then you get to the situation, well, is that the description of a tax haven or is that the description of a clever, far-sighted, maybe lucky industrial policy? And that's what I think it is. It's clever industrial policy. But the commentary in Ireland now, mm. there's lots of people saying, oh, we're a tax haven. This is the ideology of anti-capitalism, I believe, right? I'm not saying everything's pure and there are lots and lots of compromises we have to make. But let's not let ideology destroy something that has created opportunity for many millions of Irish people. So what are we talking about here? Explain this a little bit more to me. Okay, I'm going to give you a few figures to think about. Right? Okay, The extent okay. to which this is not a tax haven and these companies are part of our industrial strategy. Mm. Last year, the IDA said... Direct employment by multinational companies. So, so people directly in jobs, yeah. right? 257,394 people are directly employed by wow. multinationals, right? Wow. That's... That is more than 12% of the entire workforce, mm. right? We're going close to one in six people here. That's the first thing, right? And this represents an 80% increase in the amount of people working in multinationals from the similar figure 10 years ago. So they're expanding rapidly. 20,000 new jobs were created in multinationals last year alone during the middle of COVID. Wow. So these are real jobs. And then you think there's a multiplier, right? So let's say, for example, yeah, yeah. Intel is build, building a fab, right? Irish builders build that fab, yeah. right? So there's a multiplier that goes out through the economy. And it's been estimated now that eight other jobs are created in the wider economy for every 10 jobs in multinationals. So this is wow. a huge yeah. multiplier, Okay. That would give us a figure of 463,000 people employed directly or indirectly by multinationals. That's close to 25% of the workforce. Depend on the, so this is not a tax haven. This is a real thing. Yeah. Then you say, okay, that's fine. What about wages? That's people, right? Yeah. What does that mean in terms of money in people's pockets? Yeah, yeah. Wages from the multinational sector 
are 15 billion last year. 15 billion euros in wages come from the multinational sector. And then if you look at the amount of material they buy in and services they buy in, that's another 2.7 billion and services 7.4 billion. That means 25 billion of aggregate wages comes from the multinational sector every year. Not in total, every year. So this what's again, what's that in terms of revenue for the country? Well, now let's look at the corporation. Even if you just right. So, for example, if it's twenty five billion and income tax, say, is like forty percent on average. Mm, yeah, you're talking about eleven billion in in, in wages in, in in income tax. Yeah, and then you look at corporation tax. How much they generate in corporation tax? This is the one that we all talk yeah, about, right? Yeah. Corporation tax last year from multinational companies was eleven point two billion. Right? That's 21% of our total tax take. It's huge. Yeah. Right? So don't tell me it's a tax haven. This is real money that comes into yeah. the country. And then you think, well, what's that money spent on? It's spent on vaccinations. It's spent on hospitals. It's spent mm. on schools. It's spent on real things. Housing? It's spent on housing. Well, it should, more of it should be going on housing. But you know, the interesting thing is you can't blame the multinationals for housing. That's our problem, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is that Ireland has used strategic tax as a weapon to attract in capital. And it has profoundly changed this society. Are we a profoundly integrated part of the global economy? Yes. Do we have a huge presence of multinationals? Yes. Are we unusual in our exposure to multinationals? Yes. But that is a strategic choice that we have made. Mm. And from that has stemmed prosperity that would never have been there. From that has stemmed opportunities for Irish workers and for foreign workers as well. Look at JM. JM works here for a Canadian company. Yes. You know, so the, there's lots of stuff going on. Do you know, we, 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 sorry, just a little interject. You know, uh, we were talking about 1988. Yes. JM was born in 1988. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> oh, no. But let me ask you, there's a couple of questions I have for you then. Like, we're talking about the difference between 12.5% and 15%. Yeah. It's very little, really. It's very little unless you have staked your policy on 12 and a half. If you're talking about a country that hasn't used its tax rate effectively, they don't care because they've nothing to lose. Yeah. So think about the amount of European countries that don't do this. They've nothing to lose, right? I mean, what we're trying to do is basically say, we may well sign up to this, Mm. but tell us what we're signing up to. At the moment, it's just a set of... At the moment, it's just a set of OECD aspirations. What is it going to cover? Yeah. Are you going to actually apply it along the way? Are different sectors going to be different? Where's the money right. going to go? Like, I mean, the devil is in the detail of all these things. Now, if you have nothing to lose, you don't give a shit. Yeah. So there's lots of countries that have nothing to lose, right? They're like, we don't care. That, that sounds good. You have 15% tax. That yeah. sounds okay. But if you have a huge amount to lose by not having the detail of the proposal, then you can't blindly sign up to something just because you don't want to fall out with the big boys. And that's why I said the good route. Right. Yeah. Actually, for once we've I said, understand. for yeah. once we've said, you know what? We're not going to play this game. Yeah. Does it put you in uncomfortable uh, company? Yeah, but that's okay too. Because what you're doing is you're standing up for your interests. And that's what sovereignty is all about. But so... It's it's been a good news story for us up until now. Yes. So we're being called out now. We've been called well, out for for many well, years. The, the but... New York Times called us a tax haven. Yeah. Right. Like Delaware is a tax haven. Yes. They don't call Delaware a tax haven. Delaware is an actual tax haven within the United States. Right. Yeah. So 
we need, I think Ireland needs to push back on this because it's important to explain that strategic industrial policy is essential. Like you listen to Joe Biden, what's the, they're all talking about industrial policy now. Yeah. They're all talking about bringing companies back from China and giving them subsidies and doing this, that, and the other. They're doing exactly what we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's really, you know, Brexit is all about strategic industrial policy. You know, the leveling up from we're going to build industries. It's just, they're, they're doing, doing our, the same they're thing. singing our song. But, but, so, but on that point then, are we overexposed to multinationals? Okay, for like if you're talking about one in six workers, if you're talking yeah. about you know twenty five billion, yeah, uh, and you're talking uh, about you know the, huge amounts of the corporate. Yes, we are, we are. But then what you're doing is you're you're saying that if the world were to go back to managed trade, mm. if the world were to go back to the 1930s, where companies didn't locate elsewhere, where countries didn't trade with each other, yes, we're overexposed, right? Mm. But it's highly unlikely that the world is going to go back to a situation of massive trade barriers. In fact, that's what made Brexit so weird because Mm. it goes against the grain. So it's much more likely that the world continues to be globalized. It's much more likely that capital continues to be mobile. It's much more likely that talent continues to be mobile and move around. Mm. And therefore, the chances of multinationals who have done so well here in terms of profitability Mm. and in terms of their own balance sheets I mean, this is one of the great examples of mutual interest, where the companies and this country have done extremely well. And it strikes me that it is critical that we make this point again and again. And do we have to clean up the act on certain things? Yeah. You know, Apple can't be not paying, you know, yep. tax. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, right? Yeah. But to align ourselves with a proposal of which no details have been hammered out simply because we want to be the best boys in the class or the model prisoner idea, right? Yeah. We've got to jail the model prisoner. We like us, right? Yeah. I think is the wrong thing to do because the story of Ireland and the story of our economy the last three decades is the story of openness, supply chains, being part of the global economy, and the presence of multinationals. And we should remember that, or at least not forget that, when we have this national conversation about what we do with corporation tax and multinationals, because there's simply far too much at stake for us to be blasé. Just a quick note to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And if you fancy supporting us on Patreon, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. 